So Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you've done, God, on the cross and in your resurrection. God, thank you for filling us with your spirit, God. Your spirit's here, and he's moving in each one of our lives in a very unique and special way, God. You know exactly what we need, God, so give it to us tonight through your word, God. Give it to us tonight. If we need a little spanking, give us a spanking, God. If we need encouragement, give us encouragement. If we have any people with broken hearts, God, it says you're close to the brokenhearted. God, we thank you that you're so amazing that you can take one talk from a, from a bum like me and you, can, and you can meet people where they're at, God, through your spirit and your grace. So God, move in us and meet us where we are in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Well, without Christ, I am. <laughs> uh, but I thank you for the encouragement, whoever, the, whoever that was. So, have you ever heard of like the aha moment? Like an aha moment? I remember having this in one time. I was in, I was in a, a math class at GRCC. Uh, who are my G- GRCC people here? Whoever's ever taken community college classes. I was at CC in a math class and. My professor barely spoke English, so it was really hard to understand him. Um, but I was in his class, discrete mathematics, and it was tough. But it was mostly tough because I thought I was good at math, and so I didn't do my homework for the first like six weeks, so I fell way behind. And I remember taking this one test, and I was taking this test, and I was I was I was at my desk doing this test and I was on this one problem. If you know anything about discrete math, it's all about mathematical proofs where you basically have to backtrack and prove everything and solve things and it's really complicated and confusing and it's helped me so much in my life after college. But um, I'm here and I'm, I'm doing this problem and I'm trying to solve it and I'm doing all the trial and error, working through it and, and I'm literally, I, I finish the other parts of my test, come back to it and I'm spending like 25 minutes on this problem, I'm running out of time and then all of a sudden, it clicks. Who's ever been there? Like it just clicks and you're like, it's like this rush of adrenaline fills your whole body and you're like so excited and you're like, calm down, it's just a little discrete mathematics test, okay? It's not that big of a deal. But I'm filled, like, it's just aha moments. So tonight I want to talk to you about how really as we read and go to scripture, we can actually have these aha moments with, ready for it, the Old Testament, Okay? Very, you know, not a lot of people know a lot about the Old Testament because it's, it can be confusing if you don't know what you're reading, and most of us just know the stories that were read to us as kids, which when you think about it, it's kind of creepy because all the stories that you read when you're like nine years old is like, David killed Goliath and chopped off his head. Samson came with a donkey's jawbone and murdered thousands of people, and all the boys are like, Yeah! And you have Abraham going, and he says, Abraham, go and circumcise all of your servants. And the kids are like, what does circumcision mean? <laughs> like, it's just funny. The Old Testament, there's, there's so, the Old Testament is so beautiful and so rich, but most of us have very little understanding of why it's actually there. And that doesn't have to be the case, because once we start digging into it, in thinking critically and having an open mind and we actually seek to understand, it makes so much more sense and it adds so much richness to your relationship with Christ. 
Because the New Testament is the truth, it's the, it's the greater revelation, it's the new covenant, but the Old Testament, Jesus says not one letter from the law will by any means pass away, all of it's meant to give life, teaching, rebuking, reproof, that's 2 Timothy 3.16, so all scripture is God-breathed and it's ready, readily available for us. So we're in this series called The Gospel. We're growing in the gospel. And I want to read to you just something really quick before we move on. It's 1 Corinthians 15. This is where I spoke from uh, three weeks ago when we started it. And this is Paul speaking to Corinthian church who's dealing with a lot of issues like sexual immorality. The church is dealing with false teaching, which they're trying to convince the Corinthians that there's a different type of gospel. There's not just the gospel that Paul preached. So there's a lot of confusion going on in the city. Paul's bringing some correction to it. So he says, For what I've received, I've passed on to you as of first importance, talking about the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So what I want to emphasize here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is of the utmost, and it's of first importance. I like to say it this way. No one ever graduates from the gospel. How many of you grew up going to church by show of hands? So most of us, even if you didn't go to church, most people understand have heard Jesus went to the cross to die for my sins and he raised to life so I could go to heaven, right? So we know like this, this just mundane, this, this repeated phrase that we've heard, but, but Paul says here it's a first importance, meaning that we like to go on to things that don't really make sense and aren't really that important, and we like to go and, and go to different things as it relates to Christianity and our faith and our spirituality, but Paul's saying here is you never graduate from the gospel. You never graduate from the simple fact that you were hell-bound with no way out. And Christ came down and he literally gave everything, hung on a cross and died, surrendered his life so that we could be forgiven and enter relationship with God. So that we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to go to that destination that we all deserve because of our sin and brokenness. No one ever graduates. So I say I never graduate from the gospel. So speaking of the Old Testament, um, (laughs) when I was young, I used to place myself whenever in, in the stories when I heard them. So, for example, like when I, when, I, when I would hear the stories of David and Goliath, I would, always, I would always imagine that I was David, okay? So I'm like, I'm like David, and I got this, you know, and you're a little kid, and you're imagining yourself, like, killing this giant and then chopping his head off, right? At least as a boy, that's what I did. I don't know if you did that, but I always imagined myself in the stories of the Old Testament or maybe I was Samson and super strong, or maybe I was picturing Mo- I was Moses and I pictured myself like, what would I have done if I had the, you know, the staff and held it up and just saw the, the seas split and I'm walking through and seeing fish there and, and fish there. And just, I pictured myself as being the lead character in all of these stories. This is just something that I did quite often, just as a, as a kid and even as a high schooler and college age kid. And I always pictured myself, another one of my favorites is Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's when Daniel goes in the lion's den and he's, because of his faith, because he refuses to to bow to another king, he refuses to not pray. He gets thrown into a lion's den to be murdered because he refuses not to pray. Man, we can learn something from him. 
Anyway, I pictured myself as Daniel. And, and I think we can learn things from the main characters, but I'm, I, I want to really show you and, and, and show you a better way to read the Old Testament, okay? I want to show you a better way to start reading and understanding these stories and why they're there. They're not just tips for a better life. They actually have a greater narrative that surrounds them, a greater story that God's telling through these people and their stories. So the Old Testament is a collection of arrows that are pointing us to the most important figure in all of the Bible, Jesus. So all of the Old Testament accounts, right, from Noah to Moses to Jonah to Esther to David to Abraham to Ezekiel to Jacob to Joseph to Ruth to all the people that we read about from Genesis to Malachi are pointing us to this Messiah, this Redeemer, this King of the Jews that is promised to come, that was promised to Israel in Genesis 3.15. Okay? So all of these Old Testament accounts are pointing us to Jesus. So when Daniel's in the lion's den and Joseph is in slavery and when Abraham is sacrificing Isaac and all these stories that we grow up hearing about are not about us and how we can improve our lives. It's all about this greater story. If you can take, you know, sometimes when uh, you're so close to something, you can't get the full picture. So you have to take a step back and look at the whole thing. And then you're like, whoa, this is way bigger than I thought. It's that aha moment. It's that, whoa. I didn't see what was actually here. And what the reason God gave us this gift of the Bible was so that we could understand his ways, his thoughts, and we could understand and so that we could know him through the people of Israel in the Old Testament and through Jesus and the apostles. So I want to bring you um, through two stories tonight. But really, it's a revolving shadow. So I have some pictures. So it's called, so I want to bring you to a, a type of reading the Old Testament, which is called Types and Shadows of Christ, okay? So I have some shadows, and I'm going to prove a point with these. I have some pictures up here, so just some, some shadows. So that's a little dog, but it looks like this demon werewolf thing or something. Okay, so that's the first one. Second one. This is like a piano. You can go to the next one. It's like a, you know, a city landscape. Pretty cool. Next one. Batman. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> Little golden retriever. That's the shadow from the guy, yeah. So I think that's it. So here's my point. Here's my point in showing you those things. So the shadow gives you a form of the real object but you miss the three-dimensional component of the actual object. You can, get a, you can get a glimpse, you can try to guess what the object is gonna be, but you actually don't know what the object is until you actually see the thing that the, that the light, right, is hitting. And so the Old Testament is what we call types and shadows of Christ. And so when we read these accounts, you and I need to be looking for Christ in the stories. We shouldn't be placing ourselves in the stories. We should be asking Christ, where are you in this story that I'm reading? Okay, does that make sense? 
It doesn't mean that we can't learn from the characters of the Old Testament. We definitely can learn from, from people like David. We can learn from Joseph. We can learn from all these guys in their lifestyle. But the primary reason that's in the Bible is to point us to Christ and to show us God's faithfulness in the way that he dealt with the people of Israel. Deal? So I'm going to take you through two stories two stories tonight that are shadows of Christ. So here's what I know. We can grow in the gospel, grow in our understanding of the gospel, by discovering the shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. So we can grow in the gospel, meaning the depth and the richness and the roots that we have in our understanding of what Christ has actually done for us. We can grow out our foundation by learning and growing in, in, in seeing the shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus says, any man who builds his house on sand, it will sink, right? And it, it'll fall over. And if anyone who builds his house on the rock, it'll stand. And, and Jesus is our rock. And so the more that we understand Christ, the firmer our foundation is in our faith. So that we can never go wrong by expanding and strengthening our foundation. So to start off, I want to I share with you a passage uh, in Luke 24, it's called the Road to Emmaus. It's literally one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, okay? The Road to Emmaus is so funny, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke 24. I'm going to tell it. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you kind of what happens in this account. And I promise you, you're going you're gonna to be like, what the world is going on? So Jesus, kind of to set the, set, the, set the context, Jesus has risen from the dead, Okay? So Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already gone down, what the Bible says, into the, the, the heart of the earth or to Hades. And he's actually taken the keys of all the authority of the earth back up to earth. So he's raised from the dead already. And he's on earth. And he sees two of his disciples who are traveling on a road to Emmaus. And Jesus just happens to pop up in this story. And he starts walking alongside these two guys. And, but the thing is, is it says that they did not notice that it was Jesus. So these guys were walking and it's just like, I walked, you know, Jesus walks up and they're like, hey, how you doing? They're, you know, they're like, hey, we're doing all right, you know. And he's like, what's going on? And they go, well, you haven't heard what happened in Jerusalem about Christ? And he goes, no, I haven't heard anything. Jesus literally says, I have not heard anything. So he says, I haven't heard anything. So these guys basically tell Jesus about what happened to Jesus. And he's like, oh, so interesting. So interesting that this is happening. And you see it like, it's like, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Like you just rose from the dead and you're playing this practical joke on these two guys. Like what's wrong with you? Now, no, there's nothing wrong with Jesus, but what are you thinking? And so he, 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 he's walking alongside of them and then he says this right here. And so... He, said, he basically is talking with them and, 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 and says, shouldn't you have known that this was going to happen? He starts rebuking them. He's like, shouldn't you have known through the scriptures that this was going to happen to this Messiah? Shouldn't you have known? And then it says this, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. The scriptures means the Old Testament or the things written before Matthew, the Gospels. 
So Jesus basically goes and takes these two guys on a journey and says, look at Moses. Couldn't you see that this was a shadow? This was a type of what Jesus accomplished. Now, go look at Abraham. Can't you see how that connected? Can you go to Joseph. Look at Joseph's life. Look at Jacob and Jacob's ladder. You know, it says that angels were ascending and descending on the ladder, and then Jesus came and said, angels are ascending and descending on him. And then you go and you look at all the, all the people. You look at Jonah being in the belly of a whale and Jesus being in the belly of the earth for three days. And he, he opens up all of the scriptures and said, see how they all point to Christ. And he's giving us, you and I, an invitation not just to read the Old Testament as if it were just a history lesson on Christianity, but as a way to discover Jesus in all of the history of mankind. It's a great way. It's, the only, it's actually the, the, the most biblical way to read the Bible. The most, the most healthy and the most accurate way that we can read the Bible. And so later on, after he does this, they still don't notice that it's Jesus. So Jesus is teaching them all these things. And then finally, he finally says they're going on a road and Jesus, it's, it's like a fork in the road, and Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm going this way. And they're like, why don't you just come with us and stay with us for the night? So he goes and stays with us for the night. And Jesus starts breaking bread at dinner time. And he starts giving thanks for the bread. And then it says, then their eyes were opened and they saw that was Jesus. And they're like, what? Because they saw him on the cross. They saw him take his last breath. And then it says, this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. And then it says, Jesus disappeared. <laughs> it's like, What? It's like he's gone. He's like, gotcha. <laughs> so he's gone. Anyway, so my, the point of this whole story is this part right here, which says Jesus explained to them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus, they're shadows of Christ all throughout Genesis to Malachi. And it's, our, it's an opportunity for us to find him in all the stories. Find him. Whew. So, uh, two years ago, Abby and I got a new Ford Edge, okay? Ford Edge, great car. So before I got the Ford Edge, I literally never noticed or even knew what a Ford Edge was, okay? But once I got a Ford Edge, I literally noticed, there's a, literally, every time I drive, I always see a Ford Edge. Like everywhere, I'm like, oh, there's a Ford Edge, there's a Ford Edge, I'm going to pull in the parking lot. If I ever see another Ford Edge, I'm like, I'm going to go park next to that Ford Edge. So I, like park. so I always see them everywhere. Who's ever had that, where you have a car, and you never had a car, and all of a sudden you have the car, and you're like, the car's everywhere. And this is what happens when we start seeing and looking for Christ in the Old Testament. When you never look for him, you're like, okay, yeah, these stories. But once you start searching for Christ, you realize there's, there's, there's an endless supply of Christ and the gospel, shadows of Jesus everywhere you look. And if you want to start growing in your hunger for the Bible, growing in your hunger for truth and hunger to know God through the very thing that he gave us to know him, which is his word, then we have to start thinking differently about how, how we approach it. And this is one of those ways, shadows and types of Christ. So the first one that I want to share with you is Jonah. Yeah. Jonah and the whale. If you ever talk to an atheist, this is one of the things that they always bring up. They're always like, did Jonah really go in the belly of the whale? And you're like, all the, all the crazy miraculous things that happened in the Old Testament, you're going to bring up Jonah? 
Like, like Jesus literally parted the Red Sea. You're going to bring up that? Jesus literally was raised from the dead. That, that doesn't bother you? But Jonah and the whale, that's the thing that bothers you. Okay, let's talk about it anyway. So I want to talk to you on, I'm going to make all these parallels. I'm not going to go through the entire count of Jonah, but I'm going to show you the parallels. If you're not familiar, it's a pretty short book in the Old Testament that you can read. And it, it, it's, it's filled with satire. It's filled with, with just extreme personalities and stories. It's actually a great, a great read, and you'll learn a lot from it. But I want to show you tonight the shadow of Christ in the story of Jonah. So the first one is Jonah is a rebellious messenger from God. Now, obviously, remember, shadows are not an accurate depiction of the object it's a shadow. So you can learn things from it, but it's not accurate, right? So when we read things like from the Old Testament about David, even though David was a sinful man, David did some pretty gnarly things, we can still see Christ in him because he's a shadow, right? That's not Christ. We're not saying he is Christ. We're saying Christ worked through humanity to show and give a picture of what his redemptive plan was in the end. So Jonah is a rebellious messenger from God. Jesus is the obedient messenger from God. Our first type of shadow, Jonah is rebellious, Jesus is obedient, both messengers from God. Here we go. Jonah hates the people God sends him to. If you know the story of, of Jonah, he's sent to Nineveh, but he hates, he's a racist. He hates Ninevites. He hates them. Jesus loves the people who God sends him to. He loves the Jews. He loves humanity. Here we go. Jonah spends... Three days in the belly of a fish. Jesus spends three days in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so with the Son of Man, or so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You getting it? You getting it? This is the most basic one. If you don't get this, there's not much help for you after this. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Joking. Well, I'll take you there. Okay. Jonah was a divine messenger to Nineveh. Jesus was a divine messenger to humanity. Luke 11:30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Okay? So you see, Jonah, God sends Jonah to the Ninevites to preach repentance so that we can be saved. Ninevites were evil, they were wicked, they were sexually immoral, they were, they were idolaters, they were evil, evil people. God told Jonah, go preach repentance to them so that I can show mercy on them. And Jonah says, I'm, I hate them, there's no way I'm going to go to them because I know that they'll see your goodness and they will repent. And Jesus goes to humanity and does the opposite. So here we go. We keep going. So Jonah spends three days, and Jonah's a messenger to Nineveh. Jesus was a messenger to humanity. Jonah, we're, so we're going to look at this 40 days thing that we find in the story of Jonah, okay? Jonah for 40 days, Jesus in 40 days. So in the story of Jonah, just a little highlight into the story, he goes in the belly of the whale, or the fish, the great fish. The great fish spits him up on the shore of Nineveh, and Jonah's like, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the shortest sermon ever. It's five words in the Hebrew language, okay? He preaches the shortest sermon ever. He basically says, 
repent in 40 days or your city will be overturned. And he leaves. Talk about like the worst sermon ever. Like the worst evangelist ever. Repent in 40 days or your city will be overturned. The thing about that word overturned is a Hebrew word and it has two meanings. Either means overturned or it means transformed. So you read it in the NIV, it'll say overturned, but you can also read it as transformed. So Jonah in his heart meant to say 40 days and you'll be overturned, but God used a little play in the Hebrew language and he declared, he said, repent and in 40 days you'll be transformed. So anyways, Jonah goes out of the city, he waits, it's a crazy story, Jonah's out there, and then within 40 days, the king hears this, and people start to repent. They start to to mourn their sin, and the king commands everyone to fast, and to repent, and to destroy everything, to turn to God, and turn to his mercy, because their death is imminent if they don't. And so even though Jonah did not want them to survive, he wanted God to smite this city. God shows mercy to the people of Nineveh. But the key, the key thing I want to focus in on is the 40 days. Jonah comes after he gets spit up by the great fish, and he, and he goes to the people of Nineveh. And within 40 days, they're transformed. Now we fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is in the belly of the earth for three days, like we talked about in Matthew 12. And then it says, after he was raised from the dead, he goes to his disciples and the people that were following him. And it says he preached to them for how long? 40 days. And what does he say that will happen after 40 days? He says, I'll send you my Holy Spirit. And he says, you'll be completely transformed. You see this? Isn't that so cool? I'm like, ah, God, you got me again. (laughs) You're way smarter than us, God. You can't make this stuff up. So Jesus, 40 days. Jonah for 40 days. Uh, uh, So Jonah 3, 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, (laughs) overturned, overthrown. Acts 1, 3. To these he also uh, presented himself alive, talking of Jesus, after his suffering, suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to the things concerning the kingdom of God. So cool. So the last uh, connection I want to I make here is Jonah's hesitant obedience leads to salvation for Nineveh. Jesus' radical obedience leads to salvation for all who believe. And so now we see these two people, Jonah, and we see Jesus. And even though Jonah was imperfect, he was rebellious, he was not a very good prophet, he's a shadow of what Christ came to do for you and for me. Nineveh is an evil and wicked city, which there's no hope for them. And you and I are a wicked and perverse generation whom there's no hope for other than Jesus and his grace and mercy for us to repent and turn from our wicked ways and to cling to the message of Christ, which is turn and live for a greater cause. Okay, give me a thumbs up if that makes sense. Okay, you might have already heard that before. You might have known, been familiar with the Jonah. I'm hoping to start to unlock these shadows for you so the Old Testament can start to become alive for you. The next one I want to share with you is called the bronze serpent. It's found in Numbers 21. The bronze serpent found in Numbers 21. We're going to focus in on eight, uh, verses 8 and 9. 
So to give you a little context to the story in Numbers, uh, Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. He's taken them through the Red Sea where there's this supernatural act where God splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. He gives them a promise to a promised land and says to go to them. But the Israelite people are complainers. They're just nagging. They're ungrateful. God literally provides bread from heaven to them in the wilderness. And yet they never, never, never are grateful. These Oh, poor Israelite people. And so they're in the wilderness, and they're starting to complain, okay? They're starting to complain, and they're starting to turn away from God. They're starting to worship other, these false idols, right, in the wilderness after they left Mount Sinai. And then they came about that they were being super, super, super complaining to God, and God was just fed up with it. God was like, I rescued you from Egypt. I took you through the Red Sea. I gave you manna from heaven. I gave you water from a rock. What more do you want from me? The, wilderness, the, the, the promised land was an 11-day journey because y'all are complainers. It's turning into a whole lot longer than that. So Jesus is, 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 and then they say this, and this kind of really not triggers God, but it's just like it really revealed the, the, the Israelites' heart to God. They said, why don't, God, why don't you bring us back to Egypt? It's like, ah, God's like, man, I have such a better plan for you. And so God, in numbers, I, 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 can't fully, I don't fully understand why he did this, but it says he, he judges the people of Israel, and he sends venomous snakes into their camp. And these venomous snakes start going into all the old camp, and they start biting people, and, and people just start dropping left and right, dying from these venomous snakes. And so, <laughs> and then the Lord, the God tells Moses, so the people go to Moses and they say, Moses, start praying to God that, he would, that this would stop. So Moses intercedes for the people and this is what God tells him to do. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, which is a stick on a high place, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when, it, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Is that the same verse? No, okay. When he looked at the bronze uh, serpent, he lived. This is kind of an interesting story, right? So whenever, let's say, Elijah, you're there, you're in the Israelite, you're a complainer, you get bitten by a rattlesnake, you're like, crap, there's no, there, you're, you're screwed, man, sorry. And Moses is like, dude, just look at that snake up on a stick and you'll be better. So you're just like, sweet, you're all better, right? It's just this really crazy story. But I want to show you this, right? So how many of you, if you re- like, for me, if I would have read this without looking for Christ, I'm like, I'm just not going to talk about this ever again. I'm just going to ref- I'm just going to pretend like this is not in there, and I'll just keep reading. But when you're looking for Christ, much like when I have a Ford Edge, I see a Ford Edge, I go, wait a minute. When you look at the serpent on a stick, you'll be healed, and you'll live. Do you know of anyone else who was up on a stick in a tree that when you look upon him, you will live? Wait, I'm not just that crazy. Let's look at John 3, 14 through 15, which is the, all of our favorite verse, John 3, 16. Two verses before John 3, and this goes to show that y'all don't read your Bibles. 
just as Moses, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It gets better. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who is the originator of sin? The devil. What is the devil? The serpent. Jesus became the serpent. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might look upon the cross and live. Ah, isn't this alive? Some of you are like, Numbers is the worst book in the Bible. Look for Christ. Look for Christ and you'll bounce back and forth from new to old. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, this is not just a collection of crazy stories. This was written by a creator, by a transcendent God who's all-knowing, who weaves his spirit through mankind to point us to this person, Jesus, so that we can be saved. It's not based on my intelligence. It's not based on my words. It's based on his word that he spoke and wrote through prophets of old so that we might be saved. Not by human wisdom, but by his great power. We can grow in the gospel by discovering the shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. So three ways to end here. Three ways to help you find shadows of Christ on your own. The first thing that I would recommend, this is just the simple version, I would would recommend you read through an account of Jesus' life. So this is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So as you're reading, start observing and notice Old Testament characters or or people and accounts that you notice. Much like you see how, how he mentioned in John 3, Moses and the serpent in the wilderness. Don't just read over it. Go, okay, I'm gonna go back and search for what that's talking about. And with the internet and Google and Blue Letter Bible and all these resources, it's really easy to do. And so you go back and you start researching all about what Jesus or one, or one of the disciples spoke about, and you'll start seeing and creating a collection of all the shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. Next thing you do is you go and research it, and you make notes. A quick hint. Watch the Bible Project overview of the chapter before reading it. If you don't know what the Bible Project is, it's a YouTube resource that gives you great context to every book of the Bible. So for example, when you're going to Numbers, reading about that story about the serpent on the pole and on the stick, instead of just going to that account and just saying, I'm just going to read Numbers 21. First, before you do it, go and read the entire over or watch the entire overview from the Bible Project so you have context to what's going on in the story and you're not just picking, cherry-picking just the verse that's out of it. So get the whole context, read it, research it, and you'll just start discovering Christ in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Sound good? Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word that is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting, for teaching, for training up in righteousness so the man of God can be thoroughly 
equipped for every good work. I pray, God, that you make the Bible come alive to every person in this room, every person who's listening to this message after this. God, I pray that we would be hungry for more of you, hungry for your word, hungry for truth, hungry, God, to find you in the Old and the New Testament, to find you, God, in our lives as we're at work with our families, to find you, God, in creation as we're we're going through our day, driving to work, God, that we would not just be religious people who try not to do bad things, but we'd be people who have a vibrant relationship with our creator God who is active in our lives today. So Holy Spirit, anyone in this room who's hungry, God, I pray that you just pour gasoline on that fire, God, that we would have a deep, deep, deep desire to know you and know you in your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, Amen, guys.